So today I want to talk to you about um, the good fight of faith. But before I begin my um, discussion on what is the good fight of faith, which is the question, I want to just um, have a look at um, this passage of Scripture in Isaiah 61. I love the prophecy that you gave this morning. Uh, it was really good. It's in complete sync with what we have in my sermon today. So I think the Holy Spirit is wanting us to talk to you today about the good fight of faith. And I want to keep in track with our um, WordWise program too, so my main text will be from, uh, from Acts chapter 3 and chapter 4. Um, we had last week, we had, I forgot to bring the, the sheets for the WordWise reading, so you can get um, last week's sheet in the book, it's number four, week 47, and you can get this week's sheet out of the, uh, out of the little uh, box there if you want to have a look at those. So this is the passage of Scripture in Isaiah 61 that Isaiah prophesied with regard to Jesus and what he would do when he came, the purpose of Jesus, the the power of Jesus in his coming. He says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. This is the... um, the statement that Jesus picked out when he got into the synagogue after he came back from uh, his temptations in the wilderness, he called for the scroll and he, he opened the scroll up at this particular place. And he said, as he read this passage of scripture, this is being fulfilled in your very eyes. And so he was speaking about the, the very, uh, Isaiah was speaking about the Messiah and how the Messiah was going to come. Um, we, um, have such a beautiful Jesus, don't we? If you can get captivated by his love, if you can get captivated by his power, if you can look at the promise that we have in Jesus and the person that we have in Jesus and, and get to know him really closely, he's the one who comes and he heals your broken heart. He's the one who mends up all the stuff that's broken in your life. He's such a beautiful church. He came to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God and to comfort all those who mourn. So he's come to warn us of what's coming. And that's one of the great things about the good news is a warning aspect to it, you know. If it, it wouldn't be great news if, you know, when you died, everybody went to heaven. But that's not the case. There's a warning involved in the whole process. And, he's, and Jesus came to warn us about the dangers of neglecting our relationship with the Lord, the, the dangers of neglecting our relationship to, Jesus, to himself and to God. So he came to comfort us as well. And in verse 3 it says, And to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to support, bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. We sing, used to sing a song, He gives me beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that we would be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified or that we would display his uh, splendor. And so he came to do this beautiful work. That's a beautiful work. Whether you like to think it's beautiful or not in your Christian life, the beautiful work that Jesus did is he came and he picked you up. He cleaned you off. He, he set your heart up again that was broken and smashed and separated from him. He brought you into fellowship with God. He gave you oil upon your face, the joy of his Holy Spirit to indwell within you so that you could have joy in your heart in the midst of most, the most difficult times. And he gives you the ability to stand like an oak, a strong oak of righteousness. He gives that to you that you would display his glory. So we have a very beautiful Savior. And he has a beautiful job that he's doing in our lives. And he has a, a beautiful essence about his whole life 
that we should just be captivated with. The more you're captivated with Jesus, the more life will shine out of your life. The more captivated you are with Jesus, the more glory, his glory will be seen out of you. When you're really in love with Jesus, you'll hate the world with a passion. When you're really in love with God and in love with his word, everything around you will take its right place and the priority will be in the right place in your life because things will be just as they were meant to be. Jesus will be the center of all things. So we're told in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, and we read these words, Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called when you made your good pro- confession in the presence of many witnesses. So Paul is speaking to Timothy, and he's encouraging him to fight the good fight of faith. Now the question I want to raise today is, what is the good fight of faith? Now I, I had a bit of, I like when I do my Bible studies to go through each word and have a look at the meaning of each word because I think that you can draw something out of you know, uh, studying the meaning of each word and breaking them all down and getting a better understanding of what is actually meant in the original term. Sometimes we might read the, a word and it, it tells us one thing but when we go to the actual Greek it actually it, it fleshes it out and gives us a lot more meaning to it. And this was the case in terms of the word good here, the good fight. I mean, I thought good, morally good, you know, the good fight, it's a morally good fight. I, didn't, I wasn't prepared for what I was to read in the Greek, and I want to bring that to you. The fight is the contest. It's like, okay, you're in a contest, you're in a fight, you're contesting with an enemy, you're fighting with an adversary, you're, you're contending for something, you're struggling with difficulties and dangers, you're endeavoring to strenuously, uh, zealously strive to obtain something. So that's the whole idea with the, about the fight. It's like, you know, you're uh, having an effort, making an effort. And then he describes the fight that you're having as a good fight of faith. Now, we know that faith is talking about the confidence and the trust that we have in Jesus. But I like the word good because this is the meaning of the word good. It means beautiful or handsome, excellent, eminent, a choice fight, a surpassing fight, precious fight, useful, suitable, commendable, admirable, beautiful to look at. So this fight is not just morally good, the right thing you ought to be doing. There's something about this fight of faith which is beautiful to behold, wonderful to see. When we start as oaks of righteousness to stand strong and to begin to shine forth his glory and to begin to contest with the devil and begin to bring victory into people's lives and begin to share our faith with those who are lost, there is something beautiful to behold in the whole of the exercise. It is a beautiful fight. And we are not captivated by that if we think it's a drudgery, if it's a drudgery to share our faith with somebody else or to somehow shine the love of Jesus out or somehow to give him praise in the midst of a storm. We are not captivated by the glory and the splendor and the beauty of the struggle that we are called to in Jesus. We often think of those things of coming to Jesus and trying to witness for Jesus as some sort of uh, thing, drudgery thing that we have to, we have lost the fact that this is a beautiful thing that we should be doing that we should be manifesting the glory of God in our life and the contest when it's beheld by somebody else would be beautiful to behold 
I don't think you'd like to see somebody burned at the stake, but I think I would have liked to see somebody, one of those saints, burned at the stake. I would have liked to see the grandeur of their faith that they stood in the midst of the flames, not bending and not giving in, and standing there till Jesus took them home. There's something beautiful about that. We might think it's horrible, it's scary, it's frightening, it's terrifying, but the blood of the martyr was the seed of the church. People who watched them die for their faith saw something beautiful there. It's a beautiful fight, this fight we're in. It's not a drudgery or something that we should be moaning about. It's something that we should wake up in the morning and say, take a big, big deep breath and say, Oh God, bring the fight on today. I'm ready for it. I'm ready for something in Jesus. I'm ready to shine. I'm ready to shine Jesus. I'm, a, I'm an oak of righteousness. You picked me up. You, you, you fixed me up. You, you, the brokenness you healed, you brought me back into fellowship, you filled me with your Holy Spirit, you empowered me with the Holy Spirit, now I'm ready, I'm ready for something beautiful today. And it may be struggle, but in the midst of the struggle, how beautiful it is to see a soul victorious and overcoming. And those who watch you struggle fighting the good fight can come to you and say, what is it that I see in you? I want to know what you have. I want to see it. I want to experience that as well. Why? Because it's a good fight. It's a beautiful fight. Beautiful by reason of its purity of heart and life. The word says it's ripe and ready to be eaten. It's mature. It's fully formed. It's fully ready. We've got mandarins in our backyard now, and I go down there, and you can walk past my mandarin tree if you're in my backyard, and you can pick a mandarin off it, and you can peel it and throw the scrap into the garden, and you can eat that sweet thing. It's beautiful, ready to eat. Your life is just like that mandarin. Your time of reaping has come. You are now ready. You are filled with the Holy Spirit. You are empowered by the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You are ready. There is nothing else that God could do. You are ripe and ready to shine. You have to encounter the good fight, the beautiful challenge that's before you, and take a hold of that in Jesus. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hopeful and the evidence of things not seen. There are people out there who are looking for something. They're looking for something. And it's your beautiful fight, your beautiful testimony of what Jesus is to you and how he's helping you. It's that thing that gives substance to the thing that they're hoping for. They're looking at you and they see in you the substance of the thing that they hope for. The evidence of the things not seen is manifested in your life. They sit there and look and say, how is it you're doing this? How is it you're walking this way? How is it you're being victorious? How can you say no to sin? They're looking at you and they're saying, I know now how I can see the substance of it in you. I can see the evidence of your relationship with God and how it manifested in you. That's the good fight. That's the beautiful fight. Without that faith... We cannot please God. For he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So that if we believe that he's in us and we seek him on a daily basis and we ask him for insight and we ask him for strength, he will be there for us and he will empower us and equip us and give us all that we need for life and godliness. And that's the beauty of it. That's the beauty of it. 
No matter what situation that find, we find ourselves in, the beauty of it is Jesus is the measure for it. He is the door if you're caught. He is bread if you're hungry. He is living water if you're thirsty. He is everything that you need. He is the measure of it. It is the beautiful thing to behold when you know Jesus. You're called to this good fight. And I like the beginning of the book of Acts because it demonstrates this good fight. One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, about three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful. It's a beautiful fight and it begins at a gate called Beautiful. The contesting of their faith, the challenge of their faith, the demonstration of their faith, the outworking of their faith comes to a gate called beautiful. The word beautiful there is a different word to the, the word for good, which is another word for beautiful. But this word means ripe and fully ready to eat. A right time and a right place for a right thing. That's what this word means. Peter and John come to the right place, to the right time, with everything they need for a demonstration of God's glory. A gate called beautiful. You know, God brings those encounters right to you every day. You can imagine that. You can go to school, uh, Claudia, and then somehow, somehow this person will come up to you and don't know how the discussion will go around, but it'll come around and you'll be talking about the things of God. It's like a gate called beautiful right there in front of you. And you'll feel the nudging of the Holy Spirit in your spirit. You'll feel the tugging of God's word in your heart that you read in the morning. And it will be there. The words will be right there. What will you do at the beautiful gate that's being presented to you? How will you respond? What will you take at that gate or what will you give at that gate? When you come to that gate, those gates come to us every day. This guy had been sitting there for 40 years where the Bible tells us that he had been there from his mother's womb. He was born lame and from the time that he could start to beg, they carried him and plumped him down in front of the gate called Beautiful and he would ask for money for those who were going into the temple. When When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. He wanted something from them and Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said to him, look, at us so the man gave them his attention expecting to get something from them now i want you to slow this whole process down and think about this when you are in a situation have you the confidence to say look at us when somebody is looking at you looking to receive something from god can you comfortably say look at us Set your gaze. Is your life exemplary? Is your life an example? Is your life a light that is set on a hill that cannot be hidden? Or are you living somewhere else? Are you living in another place? Can you say, look at us because there's the confidence that your life is right where it needs to be at that place, at the gate called beautiful, to be a demonstration for the power of God. You have to look at yourself first and before you can say, look at us. Peter and John looked at the man, the man looked at them, and he said, look at us. 
That's one of the things that I'd, I think about. I think these guys were living in such submission to Jesus that they could easily and comfortably say, look at us, because they were only and ever do what Jesus wanted them to do. I'm, re- I'm reminded of a passage of Scripture that a lot of women actually believe and hold to in First Peter chapter 3, verses 1 to 4, when they are married maybe to a, an unsaved husband and they want to win that man and they don't want to keep on bashing him with the Word of God or talking to him about the Bible all the time. So they, Peter says to them, you know, Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word of they without a word may be won by the by the conduct of their wives, when they observe their chaste conduct, compa- accompanied by fear. Do not let any let your adornment be merely outward, arranged with hair, uh, uh, arranging of the hair, wearing gold and putting on fine apparel. Rather, let there be the hidden person of the heart, with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is very precious in the sight of God. And so Peter tells us, okay, this is ladies, this is how you can win your husband. If he's not submitted to the word of God, you can just live your life submissively before him and that will shine some beautiful attitude towards him. Not a beauty that is outwardly adorned, but a beautiful thing that comes from the heart. I'd like to look at that and say, men, don't just leave that for the women. Adopt this attitude yourself. And how would you, well, you're the bride of Christ you're the coming bride of Christ. You're engaged to him now and then we will behold him. We will see him face to face and we will be his bride. The church will be the bride. As the bride of Christ, be submissive to your husband. Let it not be the adornment. You're not looking at it and saying, look at me, look at the gold. Jesus makes me prosperous. Look at the, look at the diamonds. Look at all. God's not interested in how you're wearing your clothes. Or, you know, you can get a Mormon come knocking at the church door and they, they look the same. All the nice white shirt, it's organized and clean, nice dark pants. And they say, I'm from the latter trade too. Come pray for you. And you say, you want a nice, clean, fresh look? It's external. Jesus said to the Pharisees, you look beautiful on the outside, but within your heart you are like dead men's bones with every evil corruption. You see, it's not when we say, look at us, Christianity is not seen by how you live or what you wear or what you drive. It is seen by the conduct of your heart and the conduct of your faith and the conduct of your life on the inside. It's an inner beauty that shines out. So when you're saying to somebody, look at us, look at the beauty, you're saying, look at the beauty of the character of Jesus in my life. And I'll never see the character of Jesus in your life if you are not submissive to your husband. If you're not willing to do everything he says, if you're not willing to go the distance, if you're not willing to do the thing that he wants and wants you and calls you to do, Jesus will speak to you and say, "My, my love, my love, come with me now. Let's sit and read the word and say, oh, no, I'd rather watch the footy. You're not submissive to the Lord. You're not willing to go where he's calling you. He's saying, come away with me, my beloved. Come away with me. Love, come and sit with me and let us commune together. And you're not willing to because you want to do something else. You've got some other bizarre thing that you're chasing. You see, we s- destroy the beauty of the countenance of his, his presence in our life because we fill our lives with other things. If we would just sit there with Jesus and love him more and be captivated by him, endeared to him, and hear him whisper into our hearts and whisper into our lives and whisper into our minds. 
then we find when we find ourselves at the gate called beautiful, we'd be full of it. And we'd say, look at us. Because when you look at me, you'll see Jesus. You won't be looking at my clothes and saying, I'd like to have that on my hand, you know, as though, you know, you've got some, you know, Christianity isn't a means to get wealth and riches. Some people, that's the hyper-faith, prosperity doctrine. Listen to me. This is, Christianity is the way to get beautiful on the inside and to give that duty to others. So when Peter and John said, look at me, and they looked straight at him, he expected to receive something. And then Peter said, and we sang it on Tuesday night, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have, I'm giving it to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now, that, there's a whole lot right just there. The first thing is, is it's not silver and gold, so it's not anything that you think it's going to look like. When you sit and spend some time with Jesus, you don't necessarily have to have the money to fix up all the problems in the world. We, we, we get that notion that, oh, if I had a million dollars, I'd be able to fix up all the social problems in the world and we'd have to be able to show how much Jesus loved. And we think it's a social exercise, you know, some sort of social engineering. Just give us more money, give us more grants, and then we'll be able to fix up all the problems in the world that are caused by you know, inequity in the, in the society. Well, it's not like that, friends. It's not like that. It's not about silver and gold and getting enough money to fix up the world's problem. It's about getting enough of Jesus in your heart to fix up the problem of a broken-hearted one. It's about getting Jesus. The, the world will look after the social problems. They will do that. They will do it over and over. And when the run, money runs out, they'll stop doing it and some charities will start doing it. But listen, the world will not preach Jesus. The world will not present the gospel of Jesus and will not be beautiful like Jesus is beautiful. He will not be shining through the world. He only shines through Christian. That's our central and most important goal is to bring him glory by shining his light to those who are lost. Is what I do have. I'm going to give you something. If I asked you, what do you have? Would you say, oh, I just don't know enough. I just don't feel like I'm good enough. Would you tell me how much you don't have so that you justify the fact that you don't shine? Would you have spent enough time and saying, I don't know, if I get myself caught in that situation, I don't know what I'd do, but i just ask Jesus and I'm sure he would come through for me because i got Jesus and i got Jesus and he's better than anything else and greater than anything else and he will give me wisdom. i got the Holy Spirit and he said he'll testify about Jesus. He'll bring the words of Jesus to my heart. I don't even have to worry about what I need to prepare to say even if I'm caught in that situation. I know that the Holy Spirit is in me and he will tell me what to say because he said he would. And I'm, I've experienced that before and I'll experience it again. I'm just living there. i got something. i got Jesus. i got something in me. I don't have to know a lot. I just have to love Jesus and he will give me the words. I don't have to have a big education. I don't have to have letters behind my name. All I've got to do is spend some time with Jesus and listen to him. In the morning, let him talk to me about what's going to happen during the day, just like Jesus did. Just like Jesus, morning by morning, it said in Isaiah 50. Morning by morning, he wakens my ear to listen like one being taught. He, he makes my face like a flint. 
Jesus got up in the morning. If it was good enough to Jesus to get up in the morning and seek the face of God for what was going to happen so he could get words to encourage and strengthen people, it's good enough for you. Why was Jesus so beautiful? He spent time in the morning reflecting and loving God who was so beautiful. He was the perfect demonstration. and He was the perfect um, expression of God to those around him. Beautiful. These guys were on their way with Jesus. He'd come, he'd filled them, he'd given them everything they need. They were empowered. Take Peter. Look what Pe- look at Peter, the big mouth. I'll die for you. He straps a sword on his waist, ends up in the garden, pulls out a sword, hacks off a guy's priest's ear. Then he can't can't even stand up for it. You know, Jesus heals the end, says, put the sword away. Comes to a time and a little girl says to him, you know, you're one of them. He said, oh, no, no. Three times she asked him. The cock crows twice. Jesus said it would. And you'll deny me three times before it crows the second time. Runs away and cries and weeps because he's a busted and broken man. Now he's different. He's different now. What, what's the difference? Well, Jesus had come back and reinstated him jesus had conquered the grave he'd risen from the dead that's an incredibly invigorating idea that's amazingly beautiful if you're caught with death and death is around you and it's looking at you then then one rises from the dead death has lost its sting you are now walking with jesus it's wonderfully empowering to to know that death can't take you out and then he filled you with his Holy Spirit. His whole presence came in and dwells you so that all of Godhead now dwells within you and you feel the presence and the power of him. You speak in a godly language and feel your spirit edified. You speak to God and God speaks to you. You hear and speak to you and direct you and guide you. You listen to the voice and your, your ear is well trained to hear him now. You're walking this beautiful walk with Jesus who indwells you and the Holy Spirit that empowers you. And when you come and say, but what I have to give to you, I'm going to give it to you now in the name of Jesus Christ. You're drawing on everything that Jesus was, everything that you knew he was. He was the one who spoke the world into being. And you believed it. Everything is coming to existence from nothing because Jesus spoke it into being. He was the one who was there with the prophets. He was the one there with the patriarchs. He was there through all of their history. He knew that he saw They read the scriptures. Now they can see it before they couldn't see it, but now they can see it. They walked with Jesus and talked with Jesus. They heard the majesty that came from him and they were in full up with him. Full of Jesus. They're brimming with Jesus. Now they're full of the Holy Spirit and he... By his presence now directs and guides and influences them. So that they come to this place. Full. Ready. For a beautiful contest. Of their faith. It says. In the name of Jesus. And I know Jesus who's the victor of the grave. The creator of all things. Who can speak. The dead to life, blind eyes to open, and the lame to walk, and demons to be cast out. Now he lives within me, and he speaks to me, and he tells me to command you to walk. And that's okay. We think, well, that's fine. You know, Peter, it's fine. You stand there and you say, walk in Jesus' name. 
and you expect them to get up? No, I don't, but I am committed to the cause. And the scripture says to me, he says, taking him by the right hand, he grabbed him by the right hand and he said, he helped them up. He wasn't sitting there and saying, okay then, come on, let me see your faith. Let me see you get up there. He put his hand where his mouth was. He put it into this man's hand and he said, now you are going to walk and you're going to walk now. And he grabbed him and he began to pull him. Now it would have been terribly unhappy if the man's legs didn't respond in some way. He would have dragged this poor old body across the ground, across the steps, and it would have looked pitiful and not beautiful. But there was something inside of Paul, something inside of Peter that was a great thing. It was the faith that Jesus was with him and that when he put his hand in his hand, it was like putting a hand in the hand of Jesus. And when he pulled him up, instantly the man's feet and ankles ankles became strong. We want instant, don't we? We like instant. Instant is good. We live our whole life looking for instant. But I want to tell you something. You can't get instant in God unless you are constantly, instantly in contact with him, walking with him on a, on a continuous basis. Instantly in touch with Jesus in every circumstance will give you an instant situation. Because you will hear him. He will speak to you. He'll swallow up the doubt. Oh, I know what you're thinking. You're telling me, oh, but you think that I can be like Peter and I can be like John. You're mistaken. These guys walked with Jesus for three years. They, they, they saw it all. You know, if we could see it like that, we could maybe be like that. But they are somehow different to us. Their godliness is different to ours. There's something special about them. So we could never do that. We could never do what they have done. We could never be what they are be. We couldn't put our hand in a man's hand and have him quickly, instantly, his legs be strengthened and him jump to his feet and begin to walk and to praise and to sing praises to God as they hang on and we're under the table. We couldn't do that. Now, you, you, you say you couldn't because you are not in love with Jesus. I figure that somebody had actually said that to Peter and John. And when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement. Of course, the miraculous is wonderfully amazing to those who've never seen anything like that before. And we don't have to, you don't have to fake it. You don't have to pretend when, it, when it's real and it's, and, it's, and it's happening in front of you and somebody is really healed in front of you. It's, it's an amazing thing. People come and say, this is, all, this is awesome. This is absolutely astounding. Look at that. Isn't that a wonderful thing? And they'll come with amazement looking. <laughs> the old saints, they used to have the revivals. You know, they would have, you know, you've you, you got the Benny Hinn showing now, but... Back in the old days when it was real and it was happening and it was really happening, things would happen in the congregation and they'd say, oh, and the people would be full of wonder and amazement because real miracles were taking place just like they did in the day of Pentecost. Real prophetic utterances taking place. I know you can fake it. I know there's fakes around there and all this kind of thing. But when it's real, when you're not looking for the glory, when you're shining the glory back to Jesus, Jesus is quite ready to do it every single day if you just walk that way. 
if you just believed that. If you just believed that there was a wonderful, beautiful contest for you to enter into, a contest of faith. And the while the man held on to Peter and John and all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade, when Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power and godliness we made this man walk? Well, you just said to me, you don't expect me to to be able to do that sort of thing. That was Peter and John. And he's saying to you straight from the word now, he says, why do you think that there's something powerful that we have that you don't have that you can't do this? Why do you stare at us and think that it's by our own power and godliness? I'm Peter the Apostle and this is John the Apostle and that's the only reason this is happening because they're special and powerful people. He says, you are sadly mistaken. It has nothing to do with who you are. It has everything to do with who Jesus is. That's the beauty of it. And your love for Jesus makes all the difference. If Jesus is bigger and more... Wonderful than everything that happens is just Jesus, it's Jesus, it's Jesus. Do you love Jesus? I mean, do you passionately love Jesus? Would you stay up all night because Jesus wants to talk to you all night? Would you give away the state of origin match because Jesus wants you to do something with him? Would you give away your TV completely because Jesus wants to talk to you in the night watches? Would you change your life like you hit with a lorry truck? Because Jesus encountered you and he's going to make a big difference in your life. As much as the truck would make, if you were hit with a truck, Jesus would change your life. That bit. The truck. Amen. Boom! The power of God's Holy Spirit. You think, oh, I'm powerless. I don't have any power. How much do you know Jesus? How much have you abandoned yourself to the Holy Spirit? How much have you given yourself up and said, Holy Spirit, so fill me so my life matters. How much are you willing to give away to get something so that you can give something? How much are you willing to loose from yourself? Loose it from yourself so that you are nothing and he is everything. How much How much are you drawn to him today? How much are you drawn in love to him today that you would passionately seek him? Even if it killed you, you would seek him. If you love him more, it only ever gets better. And every contest is a beautiful contest because it's beautiful because Jesus is waiting there to display his glory. And even if they drag you away and they burn you at the stake, what an opportunity to burn bright for the Lord Jesus. They got it all mixed up. Jesus, help me. Jesus, bless me. Jesus. He says, I can't do any more for you. I can't do any more for you, for you if you don't even take what I've provided for you already. Don't ask me to turn it upside down for you. You will turn the world upside down with me. And they did. Oh, they did. They did. Then he says this. You see, he tells them to repent, he says. To turn from the... He starts talking about the resurrection. 
He starts speaking about the resurrection and how he saw the resurrection. We were witnesses. This is, the resurrection had changed his life. I mean, you could go and you can read about the resurrection. You can look at the proofs if you went through, if you went through our apologetics course. We looked at the proofs of the resurrection. You, if you wanted to really study it, you could go and study and see how many different proofs there are. In a legal sense, it's, it's, it's undeniable the fact that Jesus is alive. And if, you have, if it's just that and you haven't experienced it and you ask him to experience him and you'll experience him, you'll know he's alive. So you got everything. Peter, that's all Peter was going on. I witnessed through the resurrection. Empowered by the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit within him. Everything that you've got, he's got. Just like you. He says, it was by faith in the name and character of Jesus that this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and faith that comes through him that has completely healed him. As you can see. Look, you're all looking at him. He's standing there. This man who's been down for 40 years, who's born without, able to use his legs. You know him. You knew him that way. Now look at him now. What's the difference? It's not us. It's Jesus. It's the one you crucified. The one who showed himself to be Lord of all, who rose from the dead. It's him that we have faith in. We have faith in his ability. Do you have faith in Jesus' ability? Are your big problems too big for Jesus? Can you say, oh God, I don't know whether you're going to help me. I don't believe it. Jesus is able to do anything if you ask him to do it. He's able to change the circumstances of your life and break it down and heal it up and mend you. He's able to do all things. He's the restorer of broken walls. He's the healer of broken hearts. He's the forgiver, the champion of your soul. Do you love him? Do you love him? Do you love him more than you love the TV? Do you love him more than you love the movies? Do you love him more than you love the world? Is the world being crucified to him, to you, and and, and you crucified the world just that you may know him more? Call us, call us, Jesus. Call us back to this beautiful contest of faith where we would have in our lives the demonstration of Jesus through the Holy Spirit living out in our life and in our world, that we can speak to the wall to be moved and the door will swing open for us in Jesus' name. Well, with every good fight, you've got to have a contestant, one who's contesting against you. Peter and John talking about the resurrection. And the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees. Well, we know the Sadducees are Sadducee because they don't believe in the resurrection. That was their, their basic tenet. Sadducees as opposed to Pharisees. Pharisees believed in demons and angels and they believed in the resurrection of the dead. But Sadducees didn't. So you don't see the Pharisees here having a shot because... Uh, Peter and John are talking about the resurrection. You have the Sadducees because they don't believe in the resurrection. They don't want to be near anything that's talking about the resurrection of the dead or spiritual angels. They're just completely materialist. 
something like our world, eh? Didn't like the supernatural. Like our world. Sad, you see. That's how you remember it. That's why they're sad, because they didn't believe in the resurrection. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. They were putting it up them. You want to know something? If you're not making people greatly disturbed, I wonder about your faith. Everywhere you see it in the Bible, and they started preaching, they preached in such a way that people got greatly disturbed. Ezra went back to reinstate the temple, and the people who were there got greatly disturbed. Nehemiah went back to build the walls. Sambalat, Tobiah, and Gershon got greatly disturbed because they were looking to do something for God. You know what? If it's easy for you now, let me ask you one question. What could you do to make it more difficult? And I'm not saying be obnoxious and I'm not saying bash people with the Bible. How could you love Jesus more to be obnoxious to the world? How could you learn to shine so that others would get greatly disturbed? Friends, I'm in for a beautiful contest. What are you in for? Comfort and ease? I'm looking for something beautiful. Sometimes there's nothing, good, nothing beautiful like a good scrap especially if you're going to win. And you can lose physically and still win spiritually. I'm not talking about argument for argument's sake. I'm talking about you living Jesus out in such a way that you shine so brightly the devil has to run away. He can't hang around because he, he hates what he sees and it greatly disturbs him. They're greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people proclaiming that Jesus was the and the resurrection from the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put him in jail till the next day. Oh, nothing. That was okay. Have a bed, and we'll give you breakfast. You know, pray all night, whatever. We'll have a talk to you in the morning. If, you, if it meant you were going to go to jail, would you stand up for Jesus? Or, or is, it, is it too hard to even say that you're a Christian at work because they're going to scoff at you and mock at you and they say, oh, we don't believe in that rubbish, you Bible-bashing believers. What about all that? And you, you can't face the criticism that's coming against the church. Saying, yes, the criticism is valid against the church. Yes, there's pedophiles in the church as there is in every other part of society. So what? It doesn't invalidate Jesus. It doesn't take anything away from Jesus. Just because there's failures in this church, there's failures in every, every walk of life. It doesn't diminish the fact and the truth that Jesus is real. Are you willing to stand up for it even though people scoff at him? Are you willing to stand up for him even though people say you ought to be ashamed believing that sort of stuff? We believe in more modern ideas, more, more noble ideas, more tolerant ideas. I believe in the truth. I'm not stand for the truth. It doesn't matter what your ideas If they're not aligned with the truth, I'm going to say they're not aligned with the truth. And you can bury me in the ground if you like. It doesn't matter. The truth will prevail. We get so scared, so frightened, so we don't look at a, at a war as though it's coming on and saying, hey, this is an opportunity to shine brightly for Jesus. We look at a war and say, we better scamper away and hide somewhere because it's scary. We don't have a sense of boldness in our spirit. We don't have a sense that this is a great contest which we come to enter into. This is a beautiful thing that God has called us to. We have a fear that is dominating our lives and, and riddling us because we will not love Jesus more. 
And that's not just learning to read the Bible more. That's getting down and loving Jesus more. Heart to heart, deep to deep, calling out and embracing him and saying, Jesus, you are my all and all. I have no other thing but you. You are my portion, Jesus. Coming to the end. Life itself is meaningless. You are life, Jesus. You are my breath and my existence. Without you, I am nothing. They put him in jail overnight. But many who heard the message believed so that the number of men who believed grew to 5,000. What a contest! What a beautiful contest. Here we have a battle going on with a couple of guys who believe and the, the, the authorities giving them a hard time. And the people who are watching say, this is glorious, this is beautiful. And two more thousand people give their hearts to Jesus just because they saw the fray. Oh, man. Oh, if we can't get ourselves into a situation where we have to contest with the devil, no one will see, no one will know. And even if it kills us, the blood is worthy of something. Friends, stand up on the inside. Stand up and say, I'm not small. I'm big because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. There's no one as great as Jesus. They can speak from the world's point of view, but I'm speaking from the word of God. The word of God lasts forever. It will never pass away. Oh, God, help us. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, they're pretty bold people. Hairy legs, sandals, skirts on, probably, tunic on. Standing there, defying the authorities. They said, they're unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished. I don't even think I can argue with this Dilbert. They're looking at him and saying, you don't even have an education. I'm, I don't even know where to start to argue with you. But I really can't argue with you because you're standing beside you. There's a man who was, who was lame for 40 years and now he's walking. I, have, I, can't, I can't contend with that. I can't argue with that. There is something marvelous here. You're a dimwit, but look what's happened. I don't know what to do with you. We think we have to somehow impress them with their intelligence. You don't need to do that. Just impress them with your prayer life. And you're listening to Jesus. And then your belief. And when you see a sick one, just touch them and say, in the name of Jesus, rise up. Just get involved. Put your hand out. Get involved. Touch them. Get involved. Don't stand back and loof and say, oh, I can't get involved. I don't want to be. Get involved. Put your hand up. Grab them by the hand and speak words of life into them. If you don't do it, who will do it? No charity will do it. The government won't do it. God's not going to necessarily send angels to do it. He has given you the ministry of reconciliation whereby you would plead with them. Be reconciled to God. He's not actually given it to anybody else. He's given it to you to do. But since they couldn't, could see that the man who had been healed standing with them, there he was, they had nothing more to say. 
They warned him. They said, don't you, don't you go around talking about Jesus. Don't you go around talking about the resurrection of the dead. Don't you do that. You know what they said to him? Well, you, you, you can work this one out, guys. He says, should we be obedient to you or should we be obedient to God? You work it out. You tell us the answer to that question. Stumped straight away. Of course you're going to be obedient to God. It doesn't matter what some little phony man in his little t-shirt is going to say to you. You shouldn't talk about Jesus. Who cares if an atheist stands up and says, I don't like the way you are. Good, good, good. Does it bring conviction to your life? Yes, it does. Well, maybe you're a step closer to knowing Jesus. I'm serious. You, you, you've got to get out of this. Oh, oh, dear me. Oh, poor us. Oh, Asa, we don't. You have more than you ever even know you have. It's all there in the Word. If you just read it, if you just understand it, and you just wait on God and ask God to fill you with His Holy Spirit, He could change you so you could just about walk on water. Seriously. When the emotional turmoils of this life come, it's going to be like a, a tidal wave of emotional grief and stuff. You'll be walking on that. You will not sink. Everybody else will be going down and crying and screaming and saying, Woe is us! What is happening? And you will be walking on water then, my friend, because you have love, you have hope, and you have peace. And all of God's goodness is resting, and even death won't scare you. But you've got to believe that. That's the beautiful contest. It's a beautiful contest. You've got to believe that the substance is waiting to be demonstrated. The evidence is waiting to be seen. And it's in you, ready to come out into the world. And it's all of Jesus and all of his grace and all of his power. So my three ideas... If you want to be an oak of righteousness, my friend, be captivated and confident with Jesus. What does that mean for James? I don't know what it means for James. He's going to have to wake up tomorrow morning or before he goes to sleep tonight and ask the question, what does being captivated by you, Jesus, and confident in you, Jesus, mean for me? And then he's going to have to talk to Jesus about that and Jesus is going to talk back to him and tell us him what that looks like for James. And it may not be the same for Ben as it is for Noel or as it is for Mandy. It may be different. But Jesus is not interested in making you all clones. He's interested in making you individuals ready to take the gospel to every end of the world. Be filled with the Spirit, listening and influencing. You, if, look, when was the last time you said, Lord, so influence my life that if you want to take my mouth and speak out it, and I'm, not like, I'm willing to do that. The Bible says in James chapter 3, it says, who controls the mouth controls the whole body. If you still got control of your mouth, then I don't want to speak in tongues. Well, you've got a problem there. You know, Jesus wants you to speak in tongues. He wants you to speak in tongues and he wants you to go for it. Why? Because he wants you to be strong in the spirit, strong in God. You say, oh, well, I'm not willing to give up what? You'll give up your pride because you're too embarrassed to, to make funny words come out of your mouth. You know, you could do it if you wanted to. You could just speak those words. You say, Jesus, I, I'm going to speak now. I'm going to use my lips, my voice and my vocal cords. And I'm not going to speak English. I'm going to, and you can begin to speak in tongues. If you wanted to, Jesus is more desirous for you to be gifted with the gift of tongues than you are even to receive it you know the problem is that you don't think there's a benefit in it i want to tell you something the word of god says there's a benefit you edify yourself if you have problem with strength in your faith and your commitment you need to speak in tongues because it edifies yourself listen to me why would you throw that one away 
Oh, it makes me feel uncomfortable. <laughs> Seriously. There's a whole lot of other things that are going to make you feel more uncomfortable by you speaking in an unknown language in your mind not knowing what you're saying. And then be ready to give. Not to take. There's a shift. There's people who have and people who don't have. In life, there are haves and have-nots. You, my friend, and I don't care what strata from society you come from, you might be on pension now, you might be getting Centrelink, you're still a have, you're not a have-not. It doesn't matter whether you take a pension, it doesn't matter whether you're taking something from the government, that doesn't make you a have-not, it just means that God is good to you. Let me say something to you. Your have and your have not has to do with God, have to do with his gifts and his callings and his, his, his work in your life. You have because you have Jesus. They don't have because they don't have Jesus. You don't know what you have if you don't know Jesus. You don't know how much you have if you don't know Jesus. So you better get to know him because you want to find out what you have. You might have a, a pocket full of money so deep that you can minister to every need in the world, but you just don't know you have it because you didn't go to find the pin number. God did not bring you into this world so that you could be absorbed like a sponge and soak up from everybody else. He brought you into this world so that you would be a vessel full of light, that you would shine and shine the glory of God out that you would declare, declare his good works to a world, that you would be oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, to display his splendor. That's a have. That's what you got. It's not what you haven't got, it's what you got. Now, what, what have you experienced by what you got? Oh, I don't speak much, man. I'm a, I, if you ask me now, if you ask me right now, what have I experienced of God? I, I really don't. I, when I've got, he's, he's forgiven me. He's given me. And you, uh, he, he took me out. Well, listen, friends, there's more than that. He is limitless. He is a fountain that will never run dry. You can drink and you can give and you can give and you can give. And the more you give, the more he will supply. The more you draw on him, the more he will give you, the more it's infinite. His grace is abounding and it will never end. If you just learn to give it away, you would found out that it would flood in behind you. Just as fast as you give it away, it would come back to you. One of the greatest vitamin pills you can take as a believer is give your faith away and testify. If you witness to somebody else, you'll find you're walking home like a spirit of, oh, yes, what a night we had. What a night we had on the van. Yes, oh, wasn't that fantastic? What did you do? I don't know. I just gave my faith away. And guess what you got back? Encouragement and boldness and strength from the Holy Spirit because he's happy with you. You were the substance that they were looking for. You were the evidence that they couldn't see. And you were there in the contest, this beautiful contest of your faith, shining for Jesus. Where are you? Where are you? How much do you love Jesus? Do you love him more? Do you know you've got to love him more? More than you want to love them now, you've got to love them more. You've got to dig deeper than when you're gone. You've got to go deep with Jesus. Where are you? Where are you? 
ready? Are you ready for the contest? That beautiful contest. It's coming. Your opportunities are right here. You have been brought to this place for such a time as this. Believe it. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus. Oh, God. Holy Spirit. Oh, Jesus. Oh, God. Now, what I say, Lord Jesus, is what you're saying to the heart of each person right now, Lord Jesus. You're just so good at that, Lord. You're so good at that, shining the light within us. Oh, God, show us the things that need to be done. I can't do that like you can do that, Jesus. Just do that now, Lord. So move us today as if we've never been moved like this before. So change us, so challenge us, so shake us. Lord, that that confrontation with you would change us so that we'd never be the same again. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Without you, we can do nothing. And God, we want to do something. We want to do something, Jesus. Now, if you've been challenged today by the Holy Spirit, I want you to spend some time and ask Jesus what exactly he's asking you and wanting you to do. Because I can't, I can't say, oh, we'll do this. I, if, I, if I give an altar call and you come out to the front and I pray for you, oh, that's okay, that's nice. You, you'll emotionally deal with that and then you go away and you never change. I don't want you to go away thinking it's okay if it's not okay. If Jesus is calling you to something deeper, I want you to go deeper with Jesus. I want your life to be radically different than it was yesterday. I want you to draw on him. I want you to know him better. I want you to find that which you've been looking for in him. And then I want you to be able to give it away. Give it away to those who are around you who are lost. Jesus, so Jesus, do this work, we pray by your Holy Spirit. Lord, we commend ourselves to you, Lord Jesus. We give ourselves to you that you would be the potter and we would be the clay. Mold us and make us. Lord, create us, O oh God, a vessel worthy of your glory, Lord Jesus. Lord, that this vessel of clay, Father, would shine forth your glory, that you would be seen and that you would be glorified, Lord Jesus, that we would stand strong as oaks of righteousness planted by you in our day and age. We ask it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, God bless you.